You're listening to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. The writing of Nick Pinkerton has an unmistakable voice. His criticism is grounded in a genuine knowledge of film history and technique, an acute sense for cultural headwinds, and a sharp sense of humor. Pinkerton's latest work is a multifaceted book on Tsai Mingliang's Goodbye Dragon Inn, a mesmerizing movie that I fondly remember watching when it opened at Cinema Village, with a solitary mouse that would run up near the screen and run away as the images grew brighter or darker. I'm extremely fortunate to have another special guest for this episode. Pinkerton joins the podcast with a friend who also has an encyclopedic knowledge of movies, the cinematographer Sean Price-Williams. You may know Sean Price-Williams' vibrant and dynamic work from the movies Good Time, directed by Josh and Benny Safdie, and Her Smell, directed by Alex Ross Perry. A leading cinematographer of his generation, Williams has also shot movies with Abel Ferrara, Sean Baker, Michael Almereda, Jessica Oreck, and Albert Mazels. This podcast ranges far and wide before we get to Goodbye Dragon Inn, with a sense of fun and curiosity that I think reflects Pinkerton's writing. We move merrily along from Beverly Hills Cop and the excesses of 1980s Hollywood producers to the rediscovered work of 1930s French director Louis Valray, recently shown at MoMA. We also talk about a new endeavor, a movie that Pinkerton and Williams have in the works. But enough introduction. Let's go to our conversation. How are my levels, by the way? Am I sounding okay? You sound great. No, you're sounding good. It's uh, it's coming la- uh, coming just perfectly. It's, uh, your your levels are f- spiking all over the place, and I'm like just a little fuzzy caterpillar is about all I can manage. No, it's 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 all good. This is the last thing I saw a podcast about what we've been watching. I'm very happy to have two guests today. One is Nick Pickerton. Hello, Nick. Hi there, Nick. Oh, God, I'm so glad we got the introduction out of the way. And Nick, you're also joined by Sean Price-Williams, cinematographer and filmmaker. Welcome, Sean. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. What's going on, man? Let's talk about the seventh art. And at some point, I mean, I just want to mention it up front. Uh, We don't have to talk about it now, but I do want to mention that part of the occasion for uh, Nick is that he has a very fine book out about Goodbye Dragon Inn. So we'll talk about that a bit later. That's 100% true, what you've said. I, that's my, that was my aim, is a very high percentage of truth. The, no Pinocchios on that whatsoever. How many bones are we clocking in at, at this point? How many bones would I give my book? I would say it's a solid three and a half bones. Next one will be a four boner. We do have a video hound yeah, here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> If you need if you need us to look up anything in an index, the Video Hound famously has excellent indexes. What year is that? 2017. 2017, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we wouldn't be able to look up uh, like Green Book, for example. It had not come out at this point. Right. No, of course. Yeah. They removed a lot of stuff, like you know, stuff that I might be watching on VHS seems to have been deleted from these later editions, sadly. I would be very interested in taking over the Video Hound franchise. Yeah, like that would too. be the absolute to get to meet the the golden movie receiver. <laughs> <laughs> to get to meet him, pet him, throw a ball with him. Yeah, stop there. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping he's not, you know, it's not just a head that's like attached to a computer now or something that's kind of cryogenically preserved. Somebody, somebody told me the other day, I can't, I can't feel my source, but I was told the other day that uh, Rolling Stone's Peter Travers owns the hat that uh, John Wayne wears in The Searchers. <laughs> just want to give you that little visual. That's good. That's good. He is in so many ways a sort of Ethan Edwards-like character. I have never had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Travers. He, I, I know I've seen him sitting in the screening rooms that we can never go to again. I guess also because most of them don't exist. Uh, shout out to Broadway screening room. I would, I would see him at the like New York Film Critics Circle dinners. And when they do the like roll call thing at the beginning, they call out every member's name. And when they get to Travers, there's a deafening burst of applause. Because you know, everybody loves this guy because he just says nice stuff about every single movie that's ever come out ever. And, you know, who's to say he's doing it wrong at the end of the day, Nick? He's got the searcher's hat and I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have have one thing on my mind, as usual, um, and, and that's what exactly you've been watching. We, we both watched the same thing last, yeah. last night. In a movie theater? We had a triumphant return movie theater. Well, I, I went on Friday or Friday night to see uh, Chaos Walking, which was not, not a triumphant return. Oh, I was, I was also present. Yeah. Oh, you were. I tried to erase everything, including the company I kept. Um, and then last night, a friend of ours facilitated the rental of one of the top floor theaters at the beautiful AMC Empire with promise of a not to be revealed until time of screening treat uh, taken from the library of repertory titles offered by the nice people at AMC. And uh, we enjoyed Martin Brest's 1984 Beverly Hills Cop. I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can like put a few bucks down, ninety nine dollars, and you get the theater, and you can have up to twenty people in it. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the small theaters at the top, but it's like perfect, cozy, and feels like you've got the whole seat, like the attic to yourself. Right? Yeah, we all we all just watched Beverly Hills Cop fully nude, and there's nobody, <laughs> no one bothered us. <laughs> nobody could say anything about it. The way it was meant to be watched. I mean, that was always the filmmaker's intention, I believe. I do, I do feel like this could be a really fun, uh, we, it would be fast probably in New York. It could be taken over by a real party animals, this thing, because, you know, anyone could have walked in to our screening, really. They pay to see another movie and then they just hang out all day. 25 screens, there's always something going on. So it could just turn into a real, like, you know, kind of a fun party zone, the AMC Empire 25. But the, the thing that somewhat hampers its potential is you have to choose from a pretty short list of either new releases, which cost significantly more. Yeah, yeah, $300. $300 to watch, to watch Chaos Walking alone. But of the slim pickings, Beverly Hills Cop was uh, adjudged the finest choice, as, as it in fact was. Wonderful film. Yeah. Perhaps not the greatest film ever made, but maybe the best acted film. What? When was the last time you'd seen it? Shit. I don't know. High school, maybe. Yeah, about that as Which well. is weird, because I really have re revisited most, uh, including the sequel, apparently, which I don't remember. But it's strange that, that Keith managed to find uh, one that we hadn't all, I had just seen yeah. like, you know, in the past five years or something. Because it's something that we saw so much as kids, obviously. 
Yeah, absolutely hit this spot. We mm-hmm. we like came out of Chaos Walking, which is this like YA adaptation. It I think it was like actually in the can like three years ago. Yes, seven credited screenwriters, including Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Really? And that that was like our big comeback to theatrical movie going in New York, and just we were so drained and dispirited coming out of it. So yeah, so so our friend. <laughs> quickly stepped up and said let's let's try this again i have another idea and yeah and 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 it was like you know the rites of spring performance (laughs) just absolutely (laughs) absolutely renewed love and faith in the powers of the cinema in human potential you're talking to two men reborn now yeah you didn't have any moment where you had to find your sea sea legs again in in a movie theater you just just took to it again I mean, both Sean and myself, Sean much longer, was in Europe for a decent yeah. amount of last year. So you had to... Yeah, had... I was going to the movies all summer anyway in Europe. So I haven't really had discomfort being indoor spaces in my whole life, I guess, including this past year and change. So it doesn't <laughs> didn't really take any uh, effort. Yeah, and I mean, I, I got like a brief like 10-day jaunt in Belgium where... They uh, went to the festival in Ghent, and they kept things running. And moreover, I was able to go to the Cinematheque in Brussels and check out a 35-millimeter print of Candyman with uh, Dutch and French subtitles. So, I mean, I'd been a long time gone, and I know it was a, it was a year to the day. Last night's uh, Beverly Hills Cop, I should say. That was a year to the day from the last theatrical film screening that I went to in New York City, which was Surf Nazis Must Die at the Deuce at Nighthawk. I was there. And Sean was there. Yeah. <laughs> Still, have you seen a 35 millimeter print since then? Candyman was the oh, only one, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop since probably childhood. I haven't, like, I all I remember from it are the particular gags. Doesn't he put a banana in uh, a muffler to yeah. to stop up? Yeah. For some reason I remember that. But it's actually the moment before that that's one of the highlights of the movie. The, Getting like, the banana. The, the shrimp sandwich. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. Getting the banana. <laughs> Young David Wayne's in his first film appearance. Yeah, it's a one-take uh, scene. Just one <laughs> shot, nailed it, and it's... Uh, I forget, I've watched it already since then <laughs> on YouTube. I think the, the thing that struck... A lot of us coming out is like how little dependent on gags per se it actually is. Like it's not really a joke heavy movie. It's very funny, but a lot of it is really like behavioral. Yeah. Like it's a lot of close ups and just Eddie's face and uh, shoulders. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And sweatshirt. <laughs> and that's really what you kind of come away with. I was thinking I was I, I like wanted that sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if I purchased I that has, sweatshirt. I think he has two costumes in the whole movie. Yeah. Much, yeah. The yeah. Mumford, Mumford Mumford Phys Ed or whatever it is. Another case of just not needing a whole lot, you know. You just yeah you got it good. And it, yeah, and it's it's not tremendously action heavy at all, even though you know it ostensibly slots into that like action comedy thing. I mean, yeah. there is this wonderful. Uh, car chase toward the beginning where they really go all out like no 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 car this is like a, you know a, a truck full of contraband cigarettes that's being driven off by a couple of cornered goons and like no car gets just clipped by this truck every car gets just 
fucking destroyed. Yeah, that's the Simpson Bruckheimer. Yeah, element there. I yeah, think, I guess. Otherwise, it's Eddie. Right. And do we know if Don Simpson had had the penis enlargement? At uh, this not point? yet. I don't not yet. No, I would say definitely not yet. The, that's the, more the... days of thunder time. <laughs> <laughs> Just pre-enlargement. That's something you. I think you do after a, f- a flop rather than a hit. I think. Yeah, you let the size of your penis fluctuate uh, in a sort of inverse proportion to how your your films are doing at the box office. Which biography is that factoid from? High Concept, the Don Simpson book about Don Simpson. I don't know who the writer, who the writer I, is. I can't recall. What a great writer. We don't know his name. It strikes me that's like, if I can change the topic. Not at, not at all. This is where we want to remain. <laughs> Hold on a second. There, there is a line in the, in Beverly Hills Cop that's been haunting me, and, and maybe not just me, since where they talk, where Judge Reinhold is reading a news a magazine article, and he talks about the by the age of fifty, most men have uh, about five pounds of undigested <laughs> red meat in their bowels. I have a feeling that was Don Simpson's kind of like research, yeah. and he kind of threw that in there, something that was on his mind. It's such a weird actor, Judge Reinhold. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, Oddly enough, I hadn't been thinking about Judge Reinhold much lately. I, I think about him a lot because he's one of the only actors that was born in Delaware, like myself. Mm. Cynthia yeah. Rex Rock. Huh. Right, Rock. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rob, 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 Rob Rock. Valerie Bertinelli and Judge Reinhold. Strong yeah. triumvirate. It's pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. For a major state. I I always felt very nervous, very anxious for Judge Reinhold when he he was on the screen. Uh, I I don't know if that's was like part of what's funny, but I also just felt genuinely anxious for him, like he was going to flub a line or something. I, that might be part of his charm in general yeah, back can, in the day. Yeah, that can be a really like endearing, yeah, aspect for certain performers where it's like that sort of community theater thing where you see somebody sort of fumbling through and it just <laughs> yeah. puts you on their side a little bit. <laughs> And he does it, yeah. Yeah. You want to protect I Judge Ryan. I think he makes mistakes and gets caught in, you know, everything he was in back then. That was kind of a part of definitely yeah. his identity. And then once you once you're over forty, nobody wants that yeah. anymore. Nobody nobody's beating down Judge Reinhold's door anymore. I have no idea what happened to Judge Judge Reinhold. He's, if he happens to be listening, we have some interesting prospects. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We would love to. We're happy to be talking to him now. We would love to uh, usher in the Reinhold songs. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? Is that a topic we can we can talk about at all? Anything you're working on, possibly? We could talk about anything. Yeah, I think so. Been working a bit on a screenplay, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick wrote it. Nick wrote it a long time ago, and uh, it's it's just getting more and more. Uh, you know. Uh, relevant and perfect and beautiful just as it lives without change um and uh, now we've got to figure out how to turn it into a movie because that was the intention you apparently need sometimes in excess of a million dollars to make these things did you know about this uh no that is shocking and yeah well the worst part is you also hear about <laughs> you hear about some that are made for not much that's really mysterious yeah yeah and uh, robert rodriguez yeah. makes some Fast yeah. as a shot. Yeah. Still making them for seven thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Those are those spy kids movies. Those are five thousand bucks <laughs> a pop. Problem is we've got I got this I'm kinda hung up on a few things, like, you know, wanting to have people that I want to work with that I'm excited by and all that. Other than Nick, you know, it just came so easily. You know, wow, okay. 
Uh, that was easy. Now we know, you know, got a producer that, that I like finally. Okay, sort of. Yeah, okay. Now I got to get these actors, but, you know, you got to get it to them. They got agents. There's all kinds of legendary uh, things that stop great movies right. from being made. And so that's what we're kind of like trying to challenge right now. Yeah, we've, we've, we've discovered that we're both extremely poor at this phase of the uh, process. But actually, actually, steps have been being made, and, and uh, I have a a talk with a potential actor tomorrow that would really help us out with uh, our credibility. We have a lead cast that we're pretty excited about. And uh, so great. I don't know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, don't, we'll see. I don't want to mention the actor by name, but we can say that it rhymes with fudge fine. Old. Well, uh, that your secret is safe with me. I will never reveal <clears throat> the true identity of fudge final. The problem is <laughs> I came up with sort of a, a list of, you know, Oh, this is cool. And then when that list is sort of turning into a vapor, we sort of fall into these little traps of, no, what would be really cool? And now we've got this dream version of a lot of our, you know, bringing back faces and, and voices that would uh, really tickle us to see in the movie, but not not necessarily going to bring us the, the cash. So I don't know. I've got to get out of the, the dream version again and get back. We on, are we are baiting a trap for uh, Police Academy star Michael Winslow. <laughs> <laughs> Come hell or high water. We're getting Michael fucking Winslow. <laughs> yeah. And with that comes fully financed. Uh, <laughs> once you got him on board. It's a cakewalk once you got Winslow. 100%. But but if Michael Winslow happens to be listening, if they're hanging out with you, Judge Reinhold, <laughs> please uh, reach out. Cynthia, <laughs> Cynthia Retrock, uh, Judge Reinhold, Michael Winslow, just you know, kicking it, listening to the pod. But socially distanced. Do you have any hints uh, you can drop about what the movie's about? It's a comedy about America, simple. Shot in the original 13 colonies. Yeah. Dipped in Griffith. Dipped in Griffith. Scattered and smothered in Lois Weber. I don't know. It's a, a picaresque yeah, comedy about these United States and about love and laughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty wordy, which I'm excited about. It's not like some, you know... When a cinematographer becomes a director and it's all these, you know, obnoxiously beautiful images one after another and no one's talking and, you know, there's music. It's, it's yeah, all talk. It's all talk and it's going to look like dog shit. <laughs> We're really flipping the script here. This ain't fucking Windows, bro. <laughs> Incredibly prolix and horrible looking. Shot through a pinhole camera. Hey, hey that's a good idea. Damn. <laughs> Oh, we're getting a we're getting a we're getting a hand cranker yeah. Billy, Billy Bitzer style. I have the Bitzer book, but then I mean, I was really enjoying it, and then someone told me that half of it's made up. Is that true? I mean, I'm ashamed to say I've not I've not read the <laughs> the Billy Bitzer book. Did he write it himself? Yeah, he it's his own memoir. Actually, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Okay. But then someone told me that he actually takes too much credit. Yeah, that's a tendency of these these egomaniacs. Uh, every 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 year, I uh, go to this uh, festival in Ghent, in Belgium, as I mentioned, uh, to do this young critics workshop. And one of the venues, one of the theater venues for the festival, um, has on the wall when you're going up to the bathroom. There's just this big uh, wall of names of various uh, movie people, and for some reason, every time I hone right in on Billy Bitzer's name. Good old Billy Bitzer. Well, we'll read the Bitzer yeah, book yeah, and yeah. come back on. I mean, are you ready to do some sick metrics on the Billy Bitzer <laughs> podcast special? I'm sorry if that was pretty obvious, but that's why I dropped that in. You just put a little yeah. Bitzer in the podcast and it just it's off the charts. 
We weren't born yesterday. We see what you're doing. I know. You're I juicing know. your numbers with Bitzer. I do have a friend uh, in Paris that has the Henri Alicon book, which is extremely valuable, expensive, and uh, filled with all of the answers, all of the <laughs> strategies. He's the, My friend is a, is a fairly successful cinematographer. Uh, and I think it's because he has that book. I think you really, really, huh. yeah. It's, it's one of those, it's like getting a diploma. You pay a lot for that education. Mm -hmm. Henri Alicon, the guy who did, uh, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast, what, Wings of Desire. And, you know, he said he had a long career. Extraordinary black and white photography always, you know, and lots of tricks. He only lets me sit with it for about four or five minutes. So I, I he doesn't want you to exceed yeah, him. No, exactly. Yeah. I would just recommend uh, to any young uh, aspiring cinematographer just to get that book and nothing else and learn how to read French. And then they got a career. Nick can make his way through French. Yeah, I have a hard time. Sean is, Sean, is, Sean is really dubious that I can read any French whatsoever. He's really not buying it. There's a significant amount of anecdotal evidence that suggests that it's so. I was going to ask you about the liner notes in this Jean-Daniel Paulet DVD. Maybe you could just describe this to me. Shit. Well, you mentioned windows. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always an interesting thing. I'm curious, like, who, who your favorite cinematographers who directed films? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing because it's mostly really bad, a bad. horrible list. But actually, I think William Fraker directed uh, kind of a cool uh, horror movie that KGB did last night, Reflection of Fear. Yeah, so yeah. That's actually good. It's a successful translation of, of a cinematographer's style that actually makes for uh, a pretty gripping film, you know, and it's a thriller, which is, but, but Gordon Willis's was also a thriller and doing all of his tricks. And it's just awful because of, he hates actors notoriously and the actors feel hated and just like sad to watch these people in this movie the whole time. And you're watching this woman be a victim and, and it's, it's really, it's a horrible feeling watching it. It just feels so rotten to the core. So that must be what, what caused him to uh, fail there. Chris Doyle's movie, I've never bothered to watch that for Away With Words, but I hear it's really not good. Uh, Jack Cardiff, you know. Um, yeah, like Freak, yeah. Freak Makers, we, Freak both, Makers we both like, I think. Son supposed to be good, yeah. yeah. Freddie Francis. Freddie Francis did some yeah. good horror movies. Yeah, Again, I was going like, to mention. They tend to be good when they're, when they're horror movies, they're good. Yeah. But, you know, Nicholas Rogue, of course, is a little more. Uh, Ted, Ted Tetzlaff. He directed a movie called The Window, I think. Oh, is that about the kid in New York? Yeah, yeah. Chris Mangus uh, directed a few movies, and, and I haven't seen them all, actually. And again, some thrillers and then some, you know, uh, prestige films that, that are pretty well respected. But uh, I prefer him as cinematographer. Hmm. The name of the film is The Window on oh, 1949's okay. The Window. Okay. All right. Sean, nothing makes Sean happier than to catch me slipping. He loves it so much. <laughs> so rare. He loves it so much. His serene, beatific smile spreads across his his face. Didn't Fritz Lang? Didn't his one of his cinematographers also direct some interesting things? Like uh, Carl Freund, yeah, he did oh. Mad Love, which is which I actually just watched yes. again last year, which is really fun. Yeah, I watched that too. It's a lot of fun. He, he directed a lot of episodes of the Lucy Show, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. He, yeah, he went to TV. Yeah, but the but Mad Love is is really fun to watch. Yeah. Those like careers that start in the twenties and tend to like taper off into the fifties and like wind up in television are always so yeah. 
weird to look at because yeah like you know it's like one day you're like shooting frau mond <laughs> and the next day you're like yeah, uh, you're shooting in, ricky ricardo yeah, uh, in a story or something you yeah. know, just like oh. is his uh signature uh apparent in these episodes or I don't know. Maybe we'd really have to really investigate these uh, deeply, yeah. like look at maybe even see the outtakes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there are some hints of Langian architecture. Yeah, there was uh, that one episode where Ricky <laughs> Ricardo was just shaved bald with bug eyes. Like, you know, Peter. Murray, yeah, the one-off episode where Ricky goes on a child-killing <laughs> spree and is finally only brought to justice by a chalk M on his back. And the Lucy in the conveyor belt of candy where she gets stuck in the machine or something. Uh, yeah, that is a somewhat Langian image. Well, I, I don't know. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what movie you make. Me too. Me too. I'm ready. Ready. I really had like a very uh, magical evening last week when it was really windy one night. I don't know if you remember. but Yeah. And I felt, it felt like the Wizard of Oz. We were in the Wizard of Oz and then the whole movie just played out in my head. It was magical. So, I mean, I guess I don't have to make it anymore because yeah. I saw it. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But I owe Nick some money. Also, I have a, a movie poster that he covets that I promise him as soon as we get it made. I don't know why. I mean, he already did his job. Yeah, it's very, it. it's very funny. I should give it to him now. <laughs> well, I, this is kind of a dumb question, but uh, being a person as I am who is just admittedly totally incapable of writing anything resembling a screenplay, I'm just curious what that was like. Well, I did, um, you know, I, I went to a production program and had taken screenwriting classes as an undergraduate and really hung it up, um, you know, made no efforts in that direction, really through the latter part of my 20s and the first part of my 30s. And it was, I mean, really, it was Sean badgering me about doing something that got me back in the saddle somewhat in part because I had faith in the possibility that it could actually become something as opposed to uh, you know like a Sunday painter style hobby and over the course of I don't know the last five years I've ground out four feature screenplays of varying length and quality um, one I suppose I can reveal co-written with uh, Dustin Guy DeFay Nick Nick wrote a a little farewell to Kim's video thing that I you know I've been reading him and been sort of friends with him but I read the thing that he wrote when the final Kim's closed and kind of recollections and stuff about Kim's video and the storytelling and it was just so uh, I mean I was obviously attached to the subject from my own experiences and stuff but but I was he was it went so far beyond what what it should have been and I, and that was like that was it for me yeah and i said this guy this guy's telling you know whatever he's funny and also just the inside the knowledge of movies i just thought it'd be really nice because i find that most people most scripts that i get necessary maybe to work on are not made by written by people that have any care for movies you know i'm a real buff i'm a film buff well you used to call yourself a film enthusiast uh was that your handle yeah, that was, that was the old reverse blog handle, right? Film Enthusiast 2000. Do you find that it makes you self-conscious at all? I mean, when you're writing, like you don't have like the critic's voice in your head at all? or You could make a cogent argument that I don't ever have the critic's voice in my head. Yeah, you know, no, no not particularly. I think I, I, I did get very smotheringly self-conscious when I was 
in school because I felt callow and inexperienced and that I didn't have a great deal to say about things, not having observed much of life. But now that I'm a old salt who's uh, seen many sunsets, maybe I, maybe I have a thing or two to offer. Well, I didn't mean to give you the, the third degree about, about all this, but I, I have been nurturing a little curiosity about this project. Um, we can go back to the bread and butter. So, I mean, obviously, we've all just been watching things at home. Oh, I also just wanted to mention, uh, Sean, you did work at Kim's video, right? Yeah, yeah. 2000 to 2005. Because I'm almost positive I rented stuff from you. You were absolutely a customer uh, at our store. I mean, that's... Yeah, you were you were very regular, I would say. I, I have a weird memories of of the all the handwritten written mem- membership cards. I actually can see sometimes the names, like the I, written names. You know, I, that? I had that for years, yeah. where you'd just be walking down the street yeah. in the East Village, and you'd just see somebody and immediately know first yeah. name, last name. Yeah, uh, you know, know what I kind think, of form would, would, they your, would yours have possibly just said NIC? Is that possible or not? Yes. If- it probably did because I had this stupid thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, because I yeah I remember that. So yeah, and and then I would see I would see you at the movies also, like you know the, the next day or later that day, and think who is that willowy blonde? Yeah, and why <laughs> who are we is friends? she with? Why are we friends? <laughs> okay, see for a while yeah. I thought I was I was crazy that that the, it would be one and the same person, um, but yes. No, I mean, I definitely took advantage. There used to be that thing where you could rent like for $1 if you'd return in the same day. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. So I would. It was. Yeah, absolutely. So I would get like three three things out uh, and see if I could watch it. Yeah. All of them. That's um, pretty regular. That's a regular yeah. customer. Well, and and <laughs> thank, you for your, thank you for your patronage and all those years ago. And Sean was at Mondo, Mondo on St. Mark's and I on Avenue A, so we didn't overlap at that time. But my like, my one uh, truly, truly brings a tear to my eye. My one great Mondo memory was going in to rent on the third floor, and the gentleman behind the counter would go on to be a great friend to myself and to Sean as well, filmmaker uh, Michael Bolandic. But as I was giving my name to rent, he said, oh, Nick Pinkerton, like the writer in like, you know, 2005 (laughs) and absolutely never received any name recognition whatsoever. That's, you know, that's how that's how Mike B does it. Ear to the the ground. That's very nice. Um, Those were, uh, yeah, better days when I could I could watch when I, you know, having access to all of all of that. Well, now, now I just use my Paramount streaming. I just jump on there <laughs> and I watch all my favorite Paramount pictures. I just watched a Paramount picture. I just watched A New Leaf, which I had not seen in a long time. That is a very funny movie. In, in A New Leaf, there's one, um, there's one scene where um, I think Mathau is being introduced to the like staff of the house, the house staff at you know Lane May's character's home motley crew and one of the like you know driver butler i don't recall but one of the one of them has a handmade sign that just says do your own thing and own is spelled o-u-n and that's so fucking funny (laughs) to me (laughs) yeah even even the like tenor of that greeting is deeply strange and then to slap that misspelling on top of it is just 
chef's kiss. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why he felt it necessary to be carrying a, a sandwich board to welcome someone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Top five movie jokes of all time. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's, I, I haven't really been very good at <laughs> being a host because I actually, I I think I have one, two movies that I know of that you've seen. Uh, so what, I mean, what else have you been watching? Well, like last night, uh, I was all, I was all charged up after Beverly Hills Cop and uh, went home, uh, lady friend, and uh, put on uh, Back to the Future Part 3 because she uh, likes that movie a lot. And it was very enjoyable. <laughs> uh, it's a nice. It's really Doc Brown's movie. This one, um, <laughs> you know, Christopher Lloyd really gets to show his chops off. A charming Mary Steenburgen. Uh, all of that uh, Zemeckis magic and wizardry that uh, <laughs> Sean is shaking his head right now <laughs> that I can't get enough of. And then after that, I watched uh, William Klein's um, The Little Richard Story, which. Uh, been a somewhat evasive object for a long time and i i do not get along well with klein at all but i was somewhat jiving with it and then it really rankled me uh, in the back half so much so that i was inspired to pester sean with text messages at like yeah, 4 a.m i happen to love that movie quite a bit but i haven't seen it in years so I saw it at the French Institute all those years ago when they did the William Klein series, and then I never had a complete copy of it to see again. So I'd seen the first half because I have a tape that worked, uh, but I hadn't watched the whole movie again. So I, I really can't speak too clearly on that. I mean, there's really incredible stuff in yeah, it. Yeah, and, and the I spirit like... behind it is, is just delirious and fun, kind yeah. of, I think, for a while. I don't know. And as much trouble as I've had with William Klein, like, I really entered into this in an enthusiastic spirit, but there's one scene in particular toward the end where uh, a little Richard day has been proclaimed in Macon, Georgia. And it's a very, very black gathering and the white mayor of Macon comes and sings. Oh, I left my heart in San Francisco, I think. And has all these like weird little like padding things in the soundtrack to take what's already like a really kind of awkward moment and you know, a, a sort of strange encounter between this uh, politician and uh, the population of the town. It, it, it just like leans on it a little too heavy. And I, I don't know why, but it just irked me to no fucking end. But there is very remarkable stuff in it, undeniably. And Little Richard is obviously, a, you know. <laughs> God among men. Yeah, he's an expat. He's a he's a very he's a very obnoxious expat, and uh, you know I don't know expat people are kind of probably they suck kind of you know. In all of his movies in the sixties, they're really obnoxious. You know the politics of them and his kind of uh, pride of being you know in France and all this sort of stuff and working with all the the coolest people in in, in town there and and oh, just knocking America every chance he gets. And when he came and did the series. At the French Institute, his Q and A's were were unbelievable. Like he was just so awful, you know, so awful to the people that came to see his movies because we live in America still. It was like it was unbelievable for an adult to act that way. Yeesh. For some reason this brings to mind Eugene Green, who I, I guess professes not to speak English anymore. Uh, yeah, perfect, perfect example. It, were you there when they did that series of anthology? They, they did a Eugene Green Eugene 
Eugène. I was there. Yeah. I mean, I like those movies a lot. This is one of <laughs> one of many areas in which uh, we, yeah. our Venn diagram yeah. does not overlap. You're gonna teach him in the post New Wave French movies? I'm, I'm probably gonna <laughs> taper off in the '80s. <laughs> okay. Wait, Sean, you're not a fan of, of Eugene Green's movies either? No, but I, I I saw two or three of them then, and I think I saw one in Toronto. After that, I was like done. I couldn't. Something on a bridge, maybe one of them. I don't know. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> horrible looking things like you know yeah it's just the, the flatness of it or uh... yeah yeah and just the, the i mean i like theatrical i like non not naturalistic acting i like you know long takes sure all that stuff but i i mean i couldn't it just felt all insincere i mean i guess that's not really much of a criticism but yeah i couldn't i just didn't buy anything mm-hmm. and if he's if he happens to be hanging out with judge reinhold <laughs> michael winslow you know what Eugene, don't call us Oh, he's he's in trouble now because he was <laughs> he wouldn't put on a mask. It's oh Sebastian. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? He and he and Christy Pui. That's right, the anti-mask brigade. Um, well, Sean, same uh, same question. What what have you been watching re- uh, recently, other than the immediately erased uh, Chaos Walking? Mm. Been watch re- revisiting Peter Green away. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Eugene Green away. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, because I, I, I loved the stuff so much as a teenager. And then when I got sort of serious and moved to New York and, you know, discovered, um, uh, I don't know, like uh, Frederick Wiseman and Cassavetes and these things. And then I said, oh, God, you know, there's nothing worse than Peter Greenaway's world. And now I I think that I, all these cinemas in New York should just open up with Peter Greenaway uh, retrospectives now. That would be that would bring people back. Because you know you got to see these in the theater, I, I think. But yeah, it just it, yeah, they're just they're just so not the flavor of the day. But they're really extraordinary to watch for me right now. I don't know. My my girlfriend and I have been enjoying Drowning by Numbers, especially Cook the Thief is very very incredible. I think I just missed my Greenaway window. Like I think I think you're supposed to have that immersion yeah. when you're yeah when you're young, and I just never had it and yeah. the you I can't mean, read you know, Jack Kerouac you know, now for the first time. I mean, Mike, Mike read fucking on the road, <laughs> like in the beginning of <laughs> pandemic, which I thought was <laughs> so funny. Maybe I'll start reading some, like Kurt Vonnegut Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Walking around with a dog-eared <laughs> slaughterhouse <laughs> vibe. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, it, I think it's true. I mean, I did watch uh, Greenaway's movies in, in high school and they, they just symbolized like the, the ultimate in, yeah. in, I mean, it's, it's almost like, this concrete version of art house like he builds these art houses in his yeah. films of just yeah. like filling them with images it's very easy to recognize the craft when you're a teenager his stuff is so it's like terry gilliam and you know these kind yeah. of guys are very loud and all and then you reject it and then uh, i don't know yeah coming back it's been it's just a magnificent kind of like it's this this there's sophisticated movies even as kind of you know even though there's like you know shit and dicks and you know food everywhere it's you know but then that's that's also kind of a trick too i guess oh yeah i'm not so highbrow there's people eating feces in this movie (laughs) (laughs) i'm down i'm down to earth faces as they as they spell it in the united kingdom yeah and then it also it also really reminds me of we told nick and i talking about like 80s godard which we cherish so much there's a real connection watching these you know it's music it's the type of photography it's the the expressive mm-hmm. acting 
<clears throat> they're really they're really they really go hand in hand this this at this period and that's very rare i think with with british and, and french cinema i think you know to be so yeah mirroring almost in a way these are bright guys yeah and and also just the kind of playing with new like visual technology mm. like with tv dante or yeah. like picture within a picture yeah i haven't seen tv dante in a while yeah but no that's a, that would be that would probably be a very perfect matchup with uh with i don't know maybe like jlg jlg or something i don't know right i should mention also these uh these two louis valray movies that are uh on the on the virtual cinema uh at moma right now this uh filmmaker these are the only two features that he completed 1934 and 35 la belle de nuit and 13 days of love is a southern filmmaker born in toulon the films shot largely out of doors in marseille and toulon and have this like very distinct kind of southern sensibility not least in that they really revel in the seamier side of like Mediterranean port city life. And I took a great deal of pleasure in both, both of these pictures. What's his name? Louis Valray. Okay. I guess Paul Vecchiali was talking him up quite a bit like 10 years ago and he's popped up in a couple of other sort of crate digging histories and then Lobster just restored oh, okay. both of these. Cool, cool. One concerns a Parisian playwright who is cucked by his wife, uh, by an old army buddy, uh, with an old army buddy of his, and he goes down to Toulon to drown his sorrows, and while he's uh, slinking between the dram houses in Toulon's, like, red light district, he comes across a prostitute who is the spitting image of his wife. And then and there, as a man wronged Will, he devises a plan to bring her back up to Paris, introduce her to his buddy who fitted him with the horns of a cuckold, and to have his buddy fall in love with uh, this uh, this uh, lady who has been like gussied up to look like a sort of member of the smart set. And then he's going to pull the rug at the end and reveal that uh, this guy has... Uh, degraded himself by groveling before a uh, sex worker. Um, but she then falls, uh, falls for the uh, playwright's kind of protege. And in b both films actually really do sort of play up the North-South uh, dynamic or dichotomy where you have these sort of Parisians who are concerned with keeping up appearances, or if not Parisians, then Northerners um, who are a little more either actually buttoned down or at least keep up the appearance of being so. And then a much more like louche, loose, Sin City version of the South. And Toulon, which is the city where Valray was born, was uh, possibly, I think, uh, the largest French Navy port uh, at the time when he would have been growing up and had a very like wide open red light district, uh, big uh, Sicilian gang presence, gambling dens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's really like infused with a deep appreciation for that, you know, kind of 
down and dirty, like roustabout side of port city life. Yeah. Uh, was very impressed with both of these. That, that sounds really good. Something I watched a few days ago that's a streaming thing on the Criterion channel is the, it could be a strange match with the with Greenaway, is the KKK boutique ain't a bunch of rednecks. Did you see that? Ain't just, just red. rednecks? Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's this couple made it. I saw the film they made, Suzanne Suzanne, uh, this summer, last summer, and then uh, kind of was impressed. It's sort of a documentary, 16 millimeter, very... Uh, very handmade, beautiful, kind of crummy Jack Smith sort of sets. And it's all about, yeah, race. I'm sure people listening to this probably know more about these guys than I do. But uh, they've sort of been restored recently. The National Film Registry, I think, put some of their films on. So they got restored. And, and uh, yes, yeah, this uh, mixed race couple made a few movies. And they're pretty interesting. I'd never heard of them before last year at all. Camille, so, Camille Billups. Camille Billups and James Hatch, yeah. Have you seen these at all? I have not seen those. I wanted to. I mean, I looked them up because um, the New York Public Library has, I forget if they have what format they have it in, but I like put it on hold and then this actually might have been last March or it was some something came up where I was just not physically able to go in and see it. That's really interesting. I, I need to see that. It is interesting because, you know, we're, get, we're getting on in years and we get cynical when there's a discovery like this or whatever. And then to actually be completely blown away and just know that, you know, so it gives me, I get excited, of course, you know, like there's such hope for more stuff to still be discovered, you know, I mean, and this is like very, they're very distinct films. They're not like anything. Film history's deep, baby. Yeah, film history's deep. A lot of, a lot of shit happened in that hundred years. Yeah. Plum in the depths. <laughs> and, you know, and it, it's over now. They're a husband-wife couple, right? Or We are a husband and yeah, wife. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you beer me? We're drinking we're drinking beers over here. We're bad kids, man. I knew I, I knew it. I knew it. Should I plug my book, Nick? Yes, that's what I was gonna say. Since you brought up the death of cinema. Yeah. Um Yeah, that should R.I.P. R.I.P. to a real one. See when I get there. Um, yes. I have a an, a very handsome little monograph, the first in a series of ten from publisher Decadent Editions by way of uh, the Fireflies magazine. And this is, as I say, first in a series of 10. Each will be one year of the increasingly distant aughts, one year, one writer, and one film. My subject, Goodbye Dragon Inn, Ziming Lang. And we had a little, a little soiree, as, as safe as one can be, at Mast Books on Avenue A. Seem to be moving some units and seem to have had nothing but pleasant feedback up to this point. Uh, Sean has announced that he will never read it. Well, I just, uh, you know, the cover is so beautiful. This foil, like, kind of embossed cover. I just keep reading the cover, you know? It's just such a good-looking cover that I don't need to go any further. It's a really, very good save. This, this doesn't bother me. I don't need people around me to show me approbation. Honestly. close friends. Honestly, I just really want to to hear Nick read the book, like a book on tape. Oh yeah. Well, I, I did read it. I read it. I read it in, in preparation for, for our, our, our chat. I just really like how you get across the idea of just the consciousness of change and, and just yeah. all the different ways that his movies let us kind of sit with that. And I mean, just in, in, in every way, whether it's change, you know, bodily change or whatever, uh, building 
Yeah, it, it was so interesting to me to loop back to Sai's work, which has meant a lot to me through the years. But it's also like, these are films that I encountered for the first time when I was in my early 20s. And I think something that happens between your early 20s and the beginning of your 40s, which is where both Sean and myself stand now, is when you're in your early 20s, you have, I think, a feeling that things are a lot more concrete than they actually are, that the world that you're presently living in is going to be the world that you're going to be living in 10 years hence and 10 years after that. And as some time passes, you figure out, oh no, places close down, buildings get torn down. Uh, in this case, like a film culture that seemed to have some solid foundations has changed enormously into something, I won't say wholly unrecognizable, but very different from what I thought I was getting into when I was you know, a snot-nosed uh, film student. And, you know, and all of this is very much a part of you know, size filmmaking is this awareness of change, this awareness of the shifting landscape uh, around us, the way that cities uh, turn into unrecognizable new versions of themselves seemingly overnight. So yeah, it, it offers a great springboard to kind of hop off and talk about these sort of issues particularly. I could probably stand watching it again. It was definitely one of those movies we all, at Kim's video, went to New York Film Festival and saw it, and uh, we argued about it for weeks. That's the thing I most miss about being in my early 20s is really just uh, just taking a side or, yeah. on or, or against a movie and being with people every day that also have a position on it, and then we have to you know bicker or get excited yeah. with each other about it. We try to do yeah. that still, but you know. Yeah, but at the same, I was time, against that movie when it came out. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, at the same time, like I think, like I, I, I wonder about this often because you know, not only do I have the vocation that I have, but I spend so much time bickering with people about art, and I don't think I've ever convinced anybody of a single thing <laughs> ever. If they happen to agree <laughs> with me to begin with, maybe I can like articulate some points. And, you know, it's not to say that, like, a profitable conversation can't come of it, but I think, like, when you're young, like, you do have that real, like, proselytizing kind of thing where you want to badger people into submission, and when you get tired and old and dead inside, it's, like, it's not going to work. Like, you can still, you know, articulate the pleasures of the thing for yourself. Yeah, which is what you did with this book. That's what I tried to do. <laughs> okay. What I tried to do. You articulate yourself. But I mean, it's all. I also interesting. I think about Goodbye Dragon Inn is. I, I don't. I don't regard it as the greatest film in the filmography, but it does seem to come at this very like pivotal point where there's almost a like identifiable narrative in Sai's career up to that point where this seems like some kind of point that was being built towards as you have this like gradual winnowing away of extraneous elements and the films are becoming more and more yeah. kind of, kind of min minimal yeah. which you know changes 
with the film, the next feature, uh, Wayward Cloud. But he never has that level of visibility again. No, it's I mean it's a, one of the weird careers because he was so such a hot name, and then you know within three years, kind of just evaporated. And the yeah. films weren't getting American distribution. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that happened to a few. I mean Bruno Dumont, that sort of happened to him for a little while too. Yeah, but it all it also sort of corresponds to. And, you know, this is something I jabber about a bit in the book. It corresponds kind of to the evaporation of the quote unquote star art house director. Yeah, and international cinema in general in America, at least the way it gets distributed sort of falls apart. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as I note in the book, uh, like I got an email from my grandfather in like 2004 where he mentioned seeing goodbye dragon in and new smyrna beach florida and it's like that would not fucking happen today a hundred percent no oh wow yeah so and you know it's not to suggest that you know in 2002 2003 somebody like cy or claire denis or whomever that these were household names on a like fellini godard level i don't know if even godard it's a bit of a stretch but i feel like there has been a receding visibility for figures of this type and yeah you know maybe not in new york city where all of us live but the you know it can can one honestly argue that like hong sang su is a figure who is making a imprint outside of a pretty small like self-selecting cinephile cabal nothing for against the movies but you know, this is one of the things also that I kind of find myself chin scratching about in the book is like, where, where, where did this, where did this go exactly? No, I want to read it. Yeah, you got the cogent points there. No, I was just thinking about that with, with Hong Seng Su, how much someone like that who's, who's, is you know is treated by i don't know critics you know people who look out for his next movie and and it's that's so a small event but it, it what was interesting at berlin there was a movie that seemed to actually be done in his his style or, or partly on his style by uh the guy who directed asako one and two. Oh yeah yeah hamaguchi yeah and so i don't know it's i mean sometimes maybe it's not making an impact on i don't know to this nebulous public whatever whatever that means but just on a maybe or individual basis well i mean you know that there's always you know to to quote morrissey has the world changed or have i changed like you know am i looking through the wrong end of the telescope here how accurate were my impressions of the world of my youth when I was a young man? And I have my doubts about my own reliability as a narrator of the events of my life. So who knows? Who knows? Right. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to talk about, Sean has this magazine here that I was flipping through the other night, um, which is oh? the fifth issue of Experimental Cinema which cost 50 cents in 1934. And it's like this fascinating little time capsule, time capsule of like serious minded, highbrow film culture in the mid 1930s in America, in America. These, like, this wow. is, these are the real, the real double domes who are writing for and consuming this thing. 
And it has one, I think one Hollywood filmmaker is discussed therein, who's Von Sternberg, who's just like raked across the coals. (laughs) And really torn to shreds. Torn to shreds. And it's like Eisenstein, Dovzhenko, Podovkin. Podovkin's in there. Podovkin's got to be in there. More Eisenstein. The entire, a manifesto in Viva Mexico. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just looking at this thing. And it's like, God, you know, you really forget how, like, arid and, like, fucking boring the, like, conception of what constituted serious cinema was at one point. And Pinkerton, it, Pinkerton really has a hard time with Russian uh, anything. Oh, did you see? I was uh, so here. I was trying by, by, oh, by the Boris to see Boris Barnett. Okay, I fucking could, couldn't do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm flipping oh, yeah, through Ziga this. Berta, yeah. Forget. yeah, I'm yeah. flipping through this thing, and it's just, you know, I, I have no solution for anything other than like, can we just not make shit so fucking boring? <laughs> I think this is like where we're headed again. No, but there's it's, there's like <laughs> these diagrams. Yeah. There's a diagram. There's a bunch of math what is it in called? here. The theory of synchronization, but yeah, yes, yeah, very. Yeah, wow, what language is that diagram? Okay. I'm working on Boris Barnett. I'm, okay. gonna, I'm trying. Yeah, with yeah, Boris that's a, Barnett. he's a kind one. But I it, really it, do try, Sean. <laughs> Boris Barnett, I was going to say, I just remember enjoying that he seemed to like cast actors who were also like tumblers or something. There was just a lot of like hop people who could hop about or. <laughs> I mean, See, I do, yeah. I do like a cast with good yeah. like vertical jump. That's Thank nice. You. Thank you, Nick. That's yeah, just... that's, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta <laughs> give Nick some things to chew on here, like that. Yeah, man. In the magazine, though, there is a, a still from Lot and Sodom, which I had never seen, which I kind of had always thought of as just another one of these, maybe uh, I don't know, not so interesting early avant-garde short films with like. Len Lie effects and things like this, but I don't know. But it's uh, it's incredible. Actually, oh, yeah. I watched it. Yeah, it's incredible. And one of the filmmakers, two filmmakers, made it uh, who had very small careers. They were already like fifty or sixty when they made this movie. But uh, one of them made a movie called Tomatoes Another Day, which is oh on yeah, YouTube. you sent that around. Yeah, yeah. nineteen thirty, strange nineteen thirty, strange little comedy, eight minute comedy thing on YouTube. I, I would recommend uh, checking it out. It, it just seems. Somehow modern, yeah. <laughs> Strangely got, very got modern, it. even though it's a it's a Dada humor kind of like nonsense gibberish thing. But it was I was my mouth was open the whole time watching it. That doesn't say much. You said tomato, right? Yeah, tomatoes. Another day. Yeah. Well, I'm on board right there. I mean, couldn't believe what I was seeing. Eight minutes, something like that. Maybe even less. Well, Nick, we can do one of these anytime you want. We're some movie watching motherfuckers. We do this tomorrow. We have ten new movies. If if we give uh, Nick here a few days, we could do a little um, like a little Lelouch episode. Yeah, because Nick's going to be teaching a class about post new wave French cinema, post nouvelle vague. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Après nouvelle vague. Wait, is that true? That is true. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me mad because he's not going to give Lelouch the time of day, and that's a mistake. And those I'm kids a... are going to be deprived. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all Jean Pierre Maki, man. That's <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm playing like twelve Maki movies, worse than Eugene Green. Where is that going to be? Uh, this is at Eugene Lang again through the ministrations of the wonderful, wonderful Genevieve View. Eugene Long. Eugene Long. Genevieve View, who sent me sent me the book that she wrote last year. Girlhead, which I've uh, 
yet to crack, but anticipate greatly one of our finest writers and thinkers, and moreover, one of our finest human beings, who took in took in two two stranded cats, including one who is blind. Oh my goodness, I forgot about that. the kindness of her heart. And then you. Are they doing okay? They're doing great. They've got an Instagram account. I'll look it up so people can check that out. Also, everyone should get a paid subscription to uh, my wonderful Substack, Employee Picks. And if they do so, they can perhaps enjoy a conversation between Nick Pinkerton and Sean Price Williams on the subject of the films of Blake Edwards, which will Ooh. soon be coming. I mean, yeah, we want to talk about another fine mess for like 20 minutes. <laughs> How we Mandel, Ted Danson. Very nice. And Sean, are you going to be shooting anything soon? or? I don't know. I should because I'm moving and I need to make some money. Jeepers, creepers. I, don't, I, I, I am hopefully going to have a book also, though. Oh, great. Oh, that's is, right. Yeah. yeah. Which Mask Books, Mask Books, the same place that hosted uh, Nick's uh, safe launch, Yeah, happens to be also publishing my top 1,000 list. Finally, my top 1,000 movies, my, my personal top 1,000 movies list, which has changed a lot over the past year and a half. So, um, yeah. Another it, fine mass. No, yes, <laughs> there's some Edwards on there recently. And then uh, there's, a, there's a centerfold. And it also, about, it'll be about the same size book, actually, as Nick. Uh, also by chance. Yeah. yeah. Not, really any, not really any sort of analysis or insight. No, there's uh, no insight. Of the, well, <laughs> the, way that, the, the way the films are arranged on the page. Yeah. May, may be worth kind of this thinking is, this about. This is your film as a subversive art, right? Except without all the beautiful writing. Yeah. 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 And the wonderful images. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's an image in there. Well, a lot to look forward to. We'll bring it in for a landing there. This was great. I have five, at least five things now I'm going to go watch, including Tomatoes Another Day. Yeah, that'll be easy. We'll do it again soon. Cool. Absolutely. Everyone, bye. Goodbye, Dragon Inn from Fireflies Press. And subscribe to my Substack and buy Sean's book <laughs> and give us money to make a film. Yes. Please, everyone, do all these things. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And good night. <laughs> good night. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. If you like what you heard, please consider supporting the podcast by subscribing at rapold.substack.com. That's rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music from their song, Montserrat. Thank you for listening.